good morning. <laughs> that was less of a dramatic uh, transfer there. Sorry, I had to go get my, my stand. Uh, it's good to be with you as we continue our series on the games we play. Today we talk about the risk of sorry. A two for one today. Uh, the risk of sorry. Because saying I'm sorry, forgiveness puts us, or at least it can, put us in a vulnerable place. The risk of sorry. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 18th chapter, beginning with the 21st verse. Uh, It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it'll be in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all of his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And, And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay, you, uh, pay me what you owe me. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw himself into prison, and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. Now, when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all of the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have the same mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So... My heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as you know, uh, this is a series about games and the importance of games uh, and the importance of playing games with one another. So guess what? We're going to play a very quick game. So I want you to find a part. It's called rock, paper, scissors. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, find a partner or three uh, or, or two or five. Find a group, and we're going to play just one round. Just one round. Taker, winner takes all. Rock, paper, scissors. Okay? Now, we have, it's not going to be, it's going to be rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Right? It's not going to be rock, paper, scissors. Right? Or one, two, three, and go. Right. So we have it, right? It's going to be rock, paper, scissors, shoot, and then throw down your symbol, okay? One round. That's all we're doing. Are we ready? And if you're online, you're playing against me. So why are you ready? 
Right, here we go. Just one round. Find a partner. Find a partner. I'll give you seven seconds to find a partner. Okay, here we go. Ready? Rock, paper, scissors. We're going to go rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Ready? Here we go. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Okay. Online, did you get that? All right, here we go. Okay, so here's the question. Here's the question, okay? How many rocks did we have? Mm-hmm. Yep. How many papers did we have? Oh, interesting. How many scissors do we have? Fascinating, and that goes totally against my point, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. <laughs> this is the risk. I'm talking about the risk of, sorry, here's the risk of doing something live that doesn't uphold your sermon. So anyway, here we go. This is great. Am I blushing yet? Okay, this is so good. All right, so typically, typically, so rock, paper, scissors seems like it is a game of chance. That's not actually the case especially when you know these tiny little tricks of playing the game, right? So typically, so the first thing to recognize is typically men throw rocks first. Who are the rocks? Who throwed up rocks? Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, typically, women throw paper first. How many papers do we have? Show me, show me again. Papers. People are like, I don't know if I want to answer that now. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. The least thrown symbol of all of them is scissors. How many of you did scissors? Like most all of you, right? That's super interesting. But did you... So one, men throw rock first. That's a little trick of the trade. Number two, women tend to throw paper first, right? That's the second trick. Third trick is you can be manipulated by the person who is inviting you to play the game. How many scissors do we have again? Right? Most of you. Isn't that super interesting? Hmm? As I was explaining the game, throwing up the scissors, and there you go. Right? It is not a game of chance. If you know just a couple of tricks of how to play rock, paper, scissors, you can be quite successful at the game. It's really a game of status. Every human interaction is a game of status. Who's supposed to be the important one in this relationship? Who's the more affluent? Should I defer to you? Should you defer to me? There are lots of unspoken rules with this game of status that we play. It's not right or wrong. It's just a game we play. Like, for example, no one told you to sit and to listen to me right now. Just, I'm not suggesting that you get up and leave, but it's just kind of this unspoken rule. Okay, Matt has the floor, right? He has the microphone. He's standing. There's these markers that we follow culturally to tell us who should have the floor, for example. Now, this can be manipulated. So in divinity school, uh, we used to play uh, Risk on Friday nights. And I know what you're thinking, what a wild and crazy guy, right? So Friday, and, and, and one, one particular Friday night, it was me and, and Brian and Adam uh, came over uh, uh, to our little townhouse uh, over in Durham. 
uh, and, and, and Adam brought his risk set and we started playing risk, whatever. And we started at 10 o'clock at night because that's how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to start at 10 o'clock and see like how long it goes. Uh, and, and Adam was playing, he, he was pathetic. It was terrible. You know, I, I mean, it's, and I just sat there this whole time thinking like, what a noob. Like, what a newbie. Like, what an idiot. You know, what a, what a freshman. Right? He doesn't know how to play this game. Like, he started with Australia. Like, if you ever played Risk, like, you never start with Australia. That's the worst when you're playing Risk. Like, uh, uh, but around, around 2.30 in the morning, around 2.30 in the morning, it was Adam's turn. And he rolled the dice. And then like a master of the universe, in like one fail swoop, he cashed in all of his troops and he like blitzkrieged the entire board. And then he looked at me and Brian, and it was obvious that at that point he was gonna win. And he looked at me and Brian and he gave one word. He said, sorry. Right? It's kind of like what we talked about last week. Like, you know, if you really want to make money playing pool, you go and say, I don't know how to play this game. How many, uh, do, what's the white ball do? What's the black ball do? But then, like, after the guy says, okay, double or nothing, then you bring your own pool cue out and you, like, you know, put the glove on and, like, have the thing and that does the, I don't know what that does. You try, it makes you look cool, right? You know, and, and then, like, you clean up, right? That's exactly what Adam did. But here's the thing. Um, world domination and the word sorry don't really work well together, right? Adam wasn't sorry. He was the opposite of sorry. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not sorry, right? It's, he's not sorry that he went. No, he's world domination. He was going in. Sorry, forgiveness, forgiveness, real forgiveness, not baby, I'm sorry, not sorry. Real forgiveness changes this status game that we play with one another. Um, Adam had gone into the room playing a very low status, very humble, very, I'm not sure how to play this game. And then around 2.30 in the morning, he played a very high status by steamrolling both of us. And you know this game of, of, of high status, low status. You play it every day, whether or not you know it. And, and it's not chance. We have been cultivated by culture to play this game with one another. For example, and this is, this is detailed in a book called Improvisation by uh, Dr. Sam, uh, Sam Wells. Uh, as an example of high status, low status, imagine this conversation. Well, person A, there's person A and person B. Person A says, huh, what do you read in your spare time? So already person A is lifting up person B, giving them the high status because you're assuming that they're super busy and they don't have much spare time, so they read only in their spare time, right? What do you read in your spare time? Well, then person B says, well, lately I've been uh, thumbing through War and Peace. You know, well, now, <laughs> so yeah, I, I saw a couple of people roll their eyes like, you know this person in your life, don't you? So the person B has now super elevated themselves. It was supposed to be a polite conversation. What do you read in your spare time? Oh, well, I'm, recently I've been doing Tolstoy. You know, right? I've been, been thumbing through War and Peace. Like, oh, geez. So then what does, a, what does person A do to bring the equation back in the balance? Person A says something like, oh, I remember War and Peace from my childhood. Right? So you kind of equalize the... And if you have siblings, you kind of know this game, right, of, of how to do this. Or, or you have that one coworker that is, like, always super busy and their life is always super stressful and always try to, you know, oh, my gosh. High status, low status. Right? 
the low status person, hey, what do you read in your spare time? You're lifting them, I raise you up, I'm lifting you up, right? And then this person like just totally elevates himself. Yes, I read War and Peace. Well then, to make the equation balance, you have to bring them back down. Yeah, I remember War and Peace when I was a kid, right? You know, come on, right? When we don't play this game well, sometimes it can get out of hand, sometimes it can lead to violence. Now, if you have a sibling uh, or someone in your sphere of influence uh, that you don't quite get along with, this is kind of how this conversation might go. You come home one day, it's just you and said other person, and you notice that all of your mail has been opened. And you say, hey, um, were, you, were you reading my mail? No, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I mean, I just came home and like, and all, all of the mail has opened. Like, wh why are you reading my mail? Why are you accusing me of something that I know I didn't do? Look, all, and I see some people like saying, oh yeah, we know this. <laughs> like people are having flashbacks of conversations. I just came home, all of the mail, I don't know, and then it escalates, right? Until someone like, you know, something, something's gotta happen to break the tension. Now, and, and the reason being, the reason that it escalates, the reason that it gets to that place is both of you are playing a high status. Now imagine the conversation a little bit different when someone meets that high status with a low status. Um, did you open my mail? Yes. Well, why did you open my mail? Because I wanted to read it. Okay, well, don't do that. Okay, right? I'm sorry, right? Very high status, low status. When the, the equation has to be just right in order to de-escalate, in order to find peace, to be in community with each other. So Peter asks Jesus a very good question in terms of this equation of high status and low status. What does this look like as a Christian? How are we to respond to one another? in Christian community, Peter asks a very good question. He goes, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? What does that status game look like, Jesus? Let's stay with Peter's question for a moment. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is not forgetting. Let's, let's start there. Forgiveness is not forgetting, right? For example, if someone, if someone were to harm your child... Forgiveness does not mean that you let them babysit again, right? Forgiveness is not, not forgetting. Don't forget. In fact, a lot of times we have to remember. It's very important to remember. Forgiveness, in essence, means that you refuse to hurt someone in the way that they have hurt you. Turn the other cheek. Don't hit them back, right? That's the mystery behind that saying. Forgiveness is refusing your right because you have one, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, turn the other cheek. Forgiveness is refusing your right to hurt them in the way that they have hurt you. you the violence ends with you. That does not mean that we are a doormat. That does not mean that Christians are walked all over. It says that I am standing up and I am refusing to become who you are, right? Uh, in um, open space today, uh, which uh, a Sunday school class, young adult Sunday school class, uh, we meet at nine o'clock. 
Uh, there's a fantastic devotion. It's called uh, Batman is Jesus. And it's actually written as a graphic novel, which is super interesting. And it talks about, you know, Batman has one rule, right? Batman's one rule is don't kill. Because that's how Batman was created, like his parents were murdered. And if he were to kill a villain, then he would become who he hates. Forgiveness is a check. It is a Christian discipline to not become who you oppose. Violence ends with me. I refuse to treat you the way that you have treated me. This ends now. I will not be you. I will not be who I oppose. That is what forgiveness attempts to be. But in some cases, forgiveness is not possible. Let me explain. In the Beatitudes in Luke's Gospel, uh, where Jesus, it's like the Sermon on the Mount uh, uh, in, in Matthew. In, in Luke, the same kind of thing is happening, a little bit different. So in that same Sermon on the Mount, the continuation of the Beatitudes, Jesus says this, but I say to you who are listening, I say to you who are listening, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer, your, uh, offer the other cheek also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not with, uh, withstand even your shirt. Give to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes away what is yours, do not ask for it back. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Kind of these seven principles of how to treat one another. Did you notice what was not mentioned? Forgiveness is not mentioned in those seven principles. So Sam Wells, he goes on to say this. Notice when Jesus gives us a list of seven ways that we should behave toward our enemies, forgiveness is not one of them. He says, do good to them, bless them, pray for them, offer the other cheek, give to them, let them take from you and do not ask for restitution. But he doesn't say forgive. Why not? And the answer is because he is talking about hatred and abuse and, a violent, and violence that is still ongoing. To forgive something that is still going on is a categorical mistake. Jesus gives us plenty of ways to respond and engage while the hostile and the cruel and the destructive actions are still going on, but forgiveness has to wait until that destruction is over. You can't forgive something that is still going on because in doing so, you're saying that this is the whole story and somehow this violence is okay. To put it another way, while Jesus is on the cross, the first words of the seven last words of Jesus is what? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus did not say, even though Jesus had the power and authority to say, Jesus did not say, I forgive you because you don't know what you're doing. He can't because the violence is ongoing. You cannot forgive someone while they're hurting you. That is a categorical mistake. The violence has to be, that's why Jesus says, Father, forgive them, because I can't right now. Sometimes forgiveness takes 
time. In cases of violence or abuse, the most loving thing sometimes is to sever a relationship, to get away so that forgiveness can take place. Yes, we are called to forgive. Yes, we are. Do not leave here saying, preacher said it's okay not to forgive somebody. Yes, we are called to forgive, but also in our daily prayer, along with we forgive others as, as uh, forgive us as we forgive others their trespass, it also says, lead me not into temptation. We are also to not lead someone into temptation. So sometimes there has to be space, there has to be separation from one another. Peter's question is also super important, super important and poignant. That is impossible to say. Super important and poignant in what his question assumes. What did he ask? Jesus, when someone hurts me, what am I supposed to do? What does he not ask? What happens when I hurt someone? There's the assumption that Peter will be the sinless one. You know, Peter, who sat around a charcoal fire and said three times, I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know him. Hmm. You know, the one that had to be told, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? In his question is the assumption that someone's going to wrong him and not the other way around. And I would love to say in Christian community, we don't have to really talk about forgiveness because no one is going to offend anyone and no one is going to wrong anyone and no one is going to mess up. Unfortunately, we are human and we are messy and we screw up in big ways and in small ways. Peter says, so when someone wrongs me, not even thinking about when he might wrong someone, what, should I forgive them uh, uh, seven times? And that's a good college try, Peter. That's a, that's a good, you know, seven is a holy number, right? Creation, it reminds us of creation. It also reminds us in Deuteronomy 15, this is super interesting. In Deuteronomy 15, uh, it says that every seven years, debt is forgiven. If you have accrued debt with a neighbor, after seven years, that debt is released. Now, friends, sometimes we can get a little hot under the collar in terms of, like, debt relief, and like student loan relief and some of these buzzwords that we politically think about. In Deuteronomy 15, it is mandated by God in the law that after seven years, debt is to be remitted. Done. And it goes on to say, so don't treat people poorly in the sixth year, saying there's only one year left, right? I'm not going to give to you because you're just going to ask for it to be excused next year. And God essentially tells people, tough, tough. Every seven years, debt is canceled. If you are a slave, you are to be released. And then every seven times seven years, it's called the year of the Jubilee, where land is restored, property uh, is given back to the original owners, and all debts are relieved. So when Peter says seven times, that's a good holy number. Creation, Sabbath, uh, I know in Deuteronomy 15 it says every seven years debt should be canceled. How many times should we cancel the debt of others? Seven times, Jesus? And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Tenfold. How about 70 times seven? Or 77 
times, over and over and over again, Jesus tells him. As a Christian community, we should always be walking and a living and a breathing symbol of this year of the Jubilee. This idea of forgiveness of debt, forgiveness of the wrongdoing of one another. I imagine Jesus saying, Peter, in the coming kingdom, uh, you, well, you might imagine that Jesus would say, Peter, in the coming kingdom, there will be no sin, so you don't have to worry about forgiveness. But Jesus does something quite unexpected. It said, not seven times, Peter, but 77 times, or seven times, seven times. Later in Deuteronomy 15, where it says that we should remit the debt every seven years, there's a, a word in there that says, by the way, the poor will always be with you, so therefore always open your hand to one another. Always open your hand to one another. Do you remember in the Gospels where Mary anoints Jesus' feet and, G and Judas gets really mad at that because the, the perfume was really expensive and it could have been, like there's this great scene in Jesus Christ Superstar, if you remember, right? Um, uh, where, where, where Mary is anointing Jesus' feet and Jesus gets mad. What are you doing? This is really expensive. It should have been used for the poor, right? Again, Judas didn't say, like, here's money of my pocket that I want to give to the poor. No, he's scrutinizing what Mary should have given to the poor. That's part of the lesson there, is that, boy, are we concerned with how other people are using their money and not how, like, we are using our money. But he gets really mad at this. And Jesus says, the poor will be with you always, but you won't always have me. And that sounds crass, right? The poor will be with you always, but it is Deuteronomy 15. God says, the poor will always be with you, therefore always open your hand. The poor will be, we will be with you always. Therefore, always open your hand to one another. This costly perfume seems to be wasted. Forgiving someone 490 times seems to be wasted. Feeding 5,000 people seems to be extravagant. Forgiving one another is not a means of self-help. It's not for our blood pressure so that we might get along and not offend anyone. But it is, it, is what, it is what the kingdom of God looks like. I'll ask you this. I'll just ask. You don't have to raise your hand or anything or, or rock paper. You don't have to do. Forgiving your neighbor 490 times sounds like a lot. But just for a moment, consider, maybe your story is different than mine, and that's Okay. Just for a moment, consider how many times God has forgiven you. 490 times? More? I'm thankful that God's not keeping score in that way. Forgiveness is a sign of what it means to be the church. The church, this community of faith, exists in the tension of Good Friday and also the joy of Easter. We are perpetually in this Holy Saturday kind of existence. With sin on one hand, grace in the other, and then real life that happens in between the two. Forgiveness does not erase pain. I wish it did. But it does mean that we are no longer controlled by it. It is no longer the author of us. We're no longer bound 
by the pain that we've experienced. You are no longer known by the mess you've made. It changes your identity. Your identity is not only about the trust that's been broken or the screw-up or the misstep. You are a child of God. And the good news is that God is going to tell you that 490 times. Or every day if God has to. And the mystery is this. Sometimes, sometimes what seems to be a very weak response in the world that is not often thrown when we come up against a competition with someone could be the source of our strength. As Paul says, when we are weak, the strength of Christ is within us. Forgiveness is not a means of forever being low status in the world. It is the very source of our strength. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and most loving God, we give you thanks that you, time and time again, your abundance, your mercy is abundant. You continually call us into the light. You continually call us to be open to offer our own words of, I'm sorry. Give us the strength to be people of reconciliation, to be people of forgiveness, to be that symbol of your kingdom in the world. May what the world sees as a weakness be the very source of our strength. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.